Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. Today on the show, I'm joined by musician and NFT artist Jonathan Mann. For over 5,000 days, Jonathan has written, recorded, and published a song a day. After discovering CryptoPunks in 2017, he fell down the crypto rabbit hole. Over the past six years, he's melded his daily music practice and his interest in artist empowerment through NFT creation. In this episode, we discuss Songaday's evolution from a YouTube songwriting project into an NFT collection and full-fledged DAO. We discuss the legal organization of Songadao as a Colorado co-op, Jonathan's collaboration with Raid Guild, who built the website and contracts, and why he chose to assign the rights to all songs in the collection to the DAO. We even get a glimpse of the comparative revenues generated by the Songaday collection between traditional music streaming and NFT sales over the past year. We're also joined by Edouard Basir, co-founder of GBM Auctions. Through their experience building NFT charity auction protocol Cryptograph between 2018 and 2021, Edouard and his collaborators invented their signature bid-to-earn mechanism. In short, when a bidder is outbid in a GBM auction, they receive a small percentage of the new highest bid as compensation. We discuss the advantages of bid-to-earn for incentivizing early participation and price discovery in English auctions, and how Songaday was able to integrate the mechanism into their existing contracts. Songaday.world features a plethora of sophisticated features that demonstrate a true affinity for NFT collecting, decentralized organizing, and Web3 experimentation. It's always a pleasure chatting with Jonathan, whose down-to-earth approach and humble ambition are an inspiration to crypto musicians and creators of all stripes. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Edward. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Good to hear from you. How are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing pretty good, too. It's been a big day. I've been um, obnoxiously tweeting about it incessantly, but I launched this uh, Gabriel Haynes project. I was just looking at that. That is so cool. Oh, thank you. I really like it a lot. So how does that work? People add money into the juice box and that sort of allows them to, to get a rant. Is that the general idea? Yeah, exactly. So actually it started last week. So a couple of weeks ago I was meditating on how a lot of projects on Juicebox, uh, which for those who don't know is like a fundraising and programmable treasury protocol run by a DAO called Juicebox DAO on Ethereum. I was thinking about how a lot of the projects in the ecosystem Overall, but especially since sort of the bear market has set in, it's been difficult for many of them to get traction. There's been a handful. But since we launched this uh, new NFT feature a few months ago, projects can now issue NFTs. So anybody who makes a payment to a project above a certain threshold can also get an NFT. Mm. Uh, so you can also just use that to replace the fungible issuance for the juice box altogether. And those NFTs can have that classic juice box feature where the token from the project is a claim on the treasury, the part of the treasury mm -hmm. hasn't been spent yet, like a constitution DAO, for example. I was thinking for a couple of weeks, there's just a lot of projects that are, are failing to achieve much traction because they're not selling something that people want as much that doesn't make mm -hmm. much sense in a bear market. So we started doing a couple of weeks ago, this office hours, Twitter space and podcast, where, right. uh, Wednesdays, 4.20 PM now where Django and I are chatting with people. Juicebox are not related, but just talking about NFT tokenomics and other kinds of membership tokenomics to try and make your project work. And in the wake of the first episode of that, I was chatting with this guy, Salman, who's an Indian YouTuber who does Web3 work YouTube videos. And through our conversation, he just made me think, 
it would be great if you could do something like, and obviously everyone's had this thought already, but it would be great if you could have a cameo style mechanic where you mint an NFT and then you specify in Juicebox lets you write a little bit of text called a memo associated with any payment. So if you go to mint an NFT and you pass a string with the memo, you can like essentially graffiti the activity feed on the Juicebox page. So I thought it'd be cool if you could just do that and communicate to the project creator or an NFT creator some desire. And so I took a look at the Cameo uh, site a little more detailed. And if you go into the pages of the creators, if you go to purchase a Cameo, they have different subcategories of types of Cameo that you can get. Uh, and uh. I, variations on those themes uh, came up with these two for Gabriel that seemed appropriate to avoid people trying to get him to shill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to, try to get him to shill their shit coins. Yeah. So right. I came up with the roast and the pep talk, which are variations on oh, the yeah. Cameo ones. And sure. So, I contacted Gabriel last week and he was uh, up for trying it. Actually, he had done a kind of project in this vein called Clip2, I think last year. Okay. So we uh, ended up working on it. I drew up some token art and we launched the project on Wednesday. And in 24 hours, he sold uh, all 12 tokens of the first uh, drop that we did. And yeah. like almost 2000 bucks or something like that in ETH. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting model. I'm looking forward to trying to apply it to things that are other types of talent, uh, not yeah. just like uh, you know yelling yelling with a machete on Twitter. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't want yeah. this t yeah. this mechanism typecasted as as just good for that. I think it would be great for yeah. artists or uh, also like critical analysis. I, I was trying to see if Chris Black would be open to like doing mm. critical analysis of protocols on the basis of this. Commission him to do one of those. So oh yeah. That's today we dropped the second batch of NFTs. So we've been playing with that. And actually Gabriel came up with a very cool mechanism where he creates a video in response to these uh, rant NFTs, they're called. And then he's been on Manifold minting open editions available for only uh -huh. 24 hours of the video. Right, right. So today we figured out a way to point the revenues from those uh, open edition mints back at the Juicebox project. So it's oh, that's creating fun. a little flywheel kind of thing. Right. I noticed he posted one and I saw him retweeting it and saying, no one's minting this because um, no one had minted it yet, which I really actually resonate with. It's actually kind of hard to get people to buy these open editions. I found. Yeah, it seems like it should be easier, but I think there's a really interesting scarcity is so important in NFTs. There's like this really interesting interplay between it being not scarce enough. I don't know exactly what it, but I, I definitely noticed the same thing. Oh, totally. Frankly, I was never quite sure why people were buying open editions. Yeah. In yeah. The past, like there was the big X copy. Yeah. Max Payne one. It was a lot of Tezos NFTs like that. And <laughs> I think in music, what does it sound? XYZ. They're not exactly yep. open mm -hmm. editions, but they're nope. larger editions. Well, and you know, it's interesting. I saw Amber Vittoria, who's like a pretty well-known NFT artist in the space. And she made a post that I was like, oh, I'm using these words wrong. Or we all are using these words wrong, at least according to her. And I believe her, she come from like the fine art world. An open edition, technically, I guess, according to Amber, is it would be, it kind of never ends. It's open oh, and, it's, no time and it's always open. Yes. And so what we all are doing is timed edition, which is a different beast. Timed editions just means, yeah, there's a time limit. And that really is, that literally is everything from 
I like a sound. No, not like sound. Sound is limited edition because there's only so many of them. But a lot of these things are actually just timed editions versus. I mean, I like timed editions because it's sort of like a PO app. It's like, were you there? If so, you can. Yes. And it's uncapped during the time limit. I think it's a very cool mechanism. I think it's a little harder to understand the speculative story around what those tokens might be. And NFTs need that, need that speculation to really, at least where we are now. I'm always like looking forward to the day when we don't necessarily need that level where I'm like, Oh, uh, I like Gabriel and this particular one like tickled my fancy. Like I will mint this, that kind of a thing. Totally. And for these, he's doing 24 hours. So they are timed editions, but in preparation for this conversation, I listened to your bankless layer zero conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like yeah. eight months ago, something like that. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a whole lifetime in this world. Uh, <laughs> in this world. Yeah. You know, we're talking about both scarcity and speculation. Part of the thesis for the Gabriel Haynes project, which is one of like three or four that I'm trying is that especially in the bear market. And I think when the bull market comes back, if it indeed comes back, I think the speculative arguments around, you know, all this, like every PFP project promising a metaverse or whatever, I think that'll return. Yeah. But especially in the bear yeah. market, I think people want to know why they're supposed to be minting. Either it's because it's art and it's it stands yeah. on its own as art, or I think this, yeah. like the Gabriel Haynes kind of project where it's like, no, you it gives you something, get yeah. something real, yeah. something tangible. And it's not this like Moonbirds or Bored Apes speculative fiction, which is cool too, yeah. but, but it's just not the right time for it, I think. One thing that the cameo thing makes me think of is early, early 2021, we're talking like January, February time, right at the beginning of the NFT bull run. Mark Cuban, he got involved in NFTs. This was one of his first sort of NFT plays was on Rarible. He... He minted an edition of a bunch of these things. And if you bought one, it granted you the ability to get him to do a cameo for you. Uh, um, yes, that, I remember that. That was his like one of his very first kind of use case ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is simple enough. Frankly, the first thing that brought me into the NFT space, and I came much later than you, was in 2020, thinking about like PewDiePie or someone like that, saying, drop your address in the comments and yeah. someone will get an NFT or something like that. But it's taken a long time for it to, only in the peak of the bull market do you get people like Logan Paul or, or whomever. Right. I actually think it's more interesting to go for someone like Gabriel, who's really yes. got a CT audience, because the reality is you see different numbers, but there's like something on the order of 100,000 people who are trading NFTs on Ethereum right now. Yes. And you got to be well, advertising to them that you have to be giving them something you want. A hundred percent. And for someone like me, unfortunately, because what I find myself doing, and you know, this goes to Song of Day, which is I've always just done with Song of Day. I'll write about things only that I'm like interested in. And I happen to be interested in crypto and happen to be interested in a bunch of the things that happen in crypto. So it's not it's not totally outside of the realm, but you know, what I'm doing lately actually is periodically ask on Twitter. I'll say just like, what should my song be about? And I'll just admit this here. There's not very many people listening, so <laughs> maybe that's fine. But like, you know, what I've been doing is essentially I will pick ones from people who I know are crypto native and ideally have something like an, uh, of an audience and I will do their thing and then they will buy it. And like, that's, how I'm making sure that I'm selling song each day. So it's not that different from doing a cami. You know, it's like, it's just, I'm making it part of my song a day versus, but I will say, I do like it, what you've done, building it on top of Juicebox. I think that like brings a very, like an extra layer. And especially once things ever really get cooking again, that had some like real potential to be 
it could have some speculative value in a sort of constitution DAO kind of way. Totally. It's interesting what you say. So many things to talk about off this. First of all, I mean, I can just imagine you're going to be doing songs, uh, you know, nouns proposal 439. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, exactly. And so, but what's nice is like, sometimes crypto people will not ask for crypto things. They'll just ask for other random kind of things. And so it's nice to, to just sing about, you know, something random, which is always one of my favorite things to do. And then I basically said them the song, I'm like, here's your song. The implication being, please also bid on it, <laughs> go bid on it on the website. But right. yeah, I also, you know, like David Hoffman from Bankless also requested a song about small brains. So it's like, I feel obligated somewhat to, to make a song about the small brains NFT that's on Arbitrum. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's interesting. Like with uh, Gabriel, I tried to do roasts or pep talks. Uh, yeah. And in a similar way, this may be something interesting for, for Song A Day is I bought the first one and I bought a roast of Nounsdow. Uh, oh, yeah. I wanted to yeah. stir the pot a little bit. And, yes. Uh, and then someone from the Nouns community, uh, Index Card, I think is his name, bought yeah. a pep talk for Nounsdow. Right oh, after. great. Oh, great. Oh, perfect. I, I was very excited about this because, you know, essentially, not that we're in the same business, you know, that's how Facebook makes all their money, just, you know, monetizing yes. arguments on social media. Both sides. So, exactly. So if we could exactly. do that for creators, that would be fabulous. Yes. Like, oh, like yeah, everybody. totally or Gabriel's DAO or whatever. I think Gabriel, uh, we've talked a little bit about, it. I don't think he's particularly interested in like launching anything that's quite DAO, -like, yeah. but he yeah. actually is interested. And I think this is a great direction for someone who doesn't want to do a DAO in sharing the revenues of that open edition in response yeah. to the original rant with the person who yeah. bought the rant token. So uh, yeah, hundred percent. There's a reason for you to buy it, which actually is kind of like the topic we're going to talk about here in a little bit, the bid to earn stuff. Uh, where and we're even doing something even more similar to that in song a day. We're starting to, it's the year of the editions. We are launching editions uh, on um, Arbitrum uh, of we're going to start with specific songs. So for instance, a gentleman called uh, Buddha zero X bought the original CryptoPunk song that I wrote back in 2017. Wow. And we are going to launch an edition of that. He owns the one of one, but we're going to launch an edition on Arbitrum and with his some, lesson, I assume. Yes. Yes. It took some convincing to, but I convinced him that essentially what happened was Jacob from Zora convinced me that we should have additions. And I became convinced by his argument, which is essentially what you do is you both increase the number of so people that are holding a song a day NFT, which is good. But then you also create a community around a particular NFT. You, 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 you know, with this CryptoPunk song, say, you know, you tap into the CryptoPunk community that already exists and you create, you know, this community around this song that was written in 2017 that has a bunch of history associated with it. The song does. And so when I explained that to Buddha Zero X, he, he really came around just, just as I did. I think it makes just so much sense. But the thing that we're going to do is share the revenue with him. Oh, actually, technically it's with the NFT. So whoever owns the NFT, uh, the primary, and then if he sells it, a bunch of the secondary of the revenue from the additions goes funnels into whoever owns the NFT. It um, reminds me a little bit of, I really liked it, the Euler Beats. Yes, yes, exactly. I love that model when they launched yes. it, and it kind yes. of petered out, but it was so such a good idea. Yes, I, it was a brilliant idea, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, so many of these ideas, I think, they did so much that was great, like things with uh, bonding curves and everything. Like all these ideas are, are going to come back around 
we're doing it with the CryptoPunk song. If we're successful with that one, you know, maybe we'll do then like song 5,000 and we could do other songs that are very crypto related. And then eventually if we got to the point where we could, maybe we would do like every song would have the opportunity to have additions associated with it. Yeah, Just, very cool. And the only thing that comes to my mind is like, how strong is the community around the, yeah. that open edition? You, you know, you don't want it to be like not so healthy just for the yes. the general vibes. Totally. And it's difficult. Anything like this is difficult, especially in a bear market. So, but this is the time for building experiments and trying things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And say, well, that didn't work. And you move on to the next. That's basically, I think, how we're approaching it. I want to talk a lot about the DAO and the website and your relationship with Raid Guild. And I, I know you worked with a lawyer also to set it up and, and we'll get into all of that. Before we go too far, I want to say hi to Edward. How's it going? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Maybe do you want to introduce yourself briefly to the people so it's not too mysterious for too long? Yeah, sure, sure. So my name is Edouard and um, I'm one of the co-founders of GBM Auction. Basically, what we do is we help projects and also individual creators in doing their drops and um, when you have a marketplace in getting great price discovery and uh, basically price discovery mechanisms like auctions. And so our main product is uh, GBM Auction. It's uh, an auction type that we that we invented and we've helped uh, several projects um, to um, use for their drops and also in their own internal marketplace. And so it's a system where when you when you place a bid in an auction and you get outbid, you get more money back than your bid. So you, it's basically a system where you make money from being outbid. Basically, what this means is that the only two things that can happen when you take part in a GBM auction is you either win the item, you win the auction, or you make money. And so, yeah, we, we invented this mechanism um, in one of our previous platforms uh, in the NFT space called Cryptograph. And since then, we've been helping other projects integrate it. And actually, Song Day is, uh, is one of them. Right now, uh, it's actually GBM Auction Live on their site for data-driven warm. I'm looking at it right now. Pretty cool. And so, yeah, that's what we do. We've, we have quite a lot of projects right now. We're implementing it. And it's been very, very successful and at really uh, helping in price discovery, finding the right prices for, for NFTs, and also um, transforming the experience for the community. Like everyone loves taking part in GBM auctions and these drops. And so, yeah, we're looking forward to, to trying to roll this out more. And we have a lot of people that are looking at this now and integrating GBM. So that could be like a pretty big year for GBM in 2023. So yeah, very excited about that. Awesome. Okay. So, so I think we'll talk a little bit about Jonathan's work and then eventually we'll get to talking about GBM in, in more detail because I think it's a very interesting mechanism. I mean, it's it sounds like win-win for everyone who participates. So that's what we like around here. So Jonathan, I want to know, so the first time I encountered you, I can't say exactly where it was, but it was definitely in the Leo Laporte Twit MacBreak Weekly space. Do you, oh, that's I, funny. And, and so this to me is in the constellation of like John Hodgman, Merlin Mann, John Roderick, obviously Leo, I guess Alex Lindsay, I think that whole crew back in the day. And that was right around the time when you started Song A Day, right? It depends on when you saw me on there. I've only been on there a couple times, but one of the main times was right around song 1000. Oh, 1000. Um, okay. Okay. 
I mean, that is literally, it was 2011. So that's 12 years ago. So it is a very long time. <laughs> it does feel like the beginning still, even though it was thousand songs in now, it feels very much like the beginning. Um, but I remember that we, that whole month of June of like leading up to my thousandth song, I did a Kickstarter and I raised a bunch of money and hired like basically my friends to come live with me for a month and like make song a day together for a month for the month of June of 2011. Wow. And there's a song from that month called Petaluma Leprechaun or something like that. And that's because <laughs> me and my friend Thomas had gone up to Petaluma, California where the Laporte house was. And we did like a live performance of, of one of the songs. Right. That's where Leo as a, had the, had the studio, right? I haven't seen yes. what he's done in, in years. I haven't paid it much. Yeah. Neither have I. Although I was on again, why was I on? I was on again, relatively, I made a song for Waz's 70th birthday, I want to say. Okay. And they brought me on again for that. That's cute. Uh, that was 2020, I think. That was the last time I saw, I saw those guys. So for reference, for people at the time of recording, we're on 5133. Data Driven Worm is the song today. It's uh, number 5133. And you're wearing this ATP <laughs> zip up hoodie, which is another podcast I, in the same kind of zone. Right? <laughs> this is like the only hoodie I wear. I have like three of them. It's like a staple of song a day at this point is the ATP hoodie. Yeah. For people who don't know, that's Accidental Tech Podcast with Marco Arment, uh, who created Instapaper and was CTO at Tumblr, I believe. He was like the co-founder of Tumblr. It was just him and David Karp in the beginning. Crazy. So, and then Marco yeah. kind of over time went from Tumblr being his main claim to fame to being kind of a real influencer in the Apple Mac. development community. Yeah, exactly. Overcast is his, his current project. I think still his main current project. Yes. Uh, and also John Syracuse is another sort of Mac head from that zone of the podcast space, which back in the day was, I mean, some of the earliest, not the, what was Adam Curry was, I guess the first, or maybe the first podcaster, depending how you define it. And but in that early era, Steve Jobs announcing iTunes with podcasts and that iTunes U era and Leo Laporte and this whole network of Mac nerds in primarily California, to me, was a big influence in the early days. This is like when uh, MOOCs were new, even maybe even before them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was a really uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. And I was a big uh, Merlin man and you look nice today fan and uh, Lonely Sandwich, the whole gang. I mean, it's a small world. It's a small world. And it's so funny if you know me from something, it's like, oh, oh, it's like people know me from ATP or something, you know, it's like, it's always so nice to be, to find little fellow Mac nerd people. Totally. I mean, you, I remember Instagram. It's a very specific, <laughs> yeah. And uh, alt, these kinds of things. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> what a time. So you had this around a thousand, that must've been when the crossover moment was when I first discovered you. And then Fast forward to getting into crypto 2017 around CryptoPunks uh, was when you really got enthused about crypto? That is, yeah. Right when CryptoPunks had launched maybe like a couple months earlier and my friend Boris showed it to me and and you can find this, there's this video of me sort of speaking about CryptoPunks at a conference, actually a very Mac adjacent conference in upstate New York. And I'm speaking on CryptoPunks in like 2017, explaining how CryptoPunks did this thing and how I want to do the exact same thing with Song of Day. So it was the kind of thing where it was just very early on, I saw what CryptoPunks was and I really related it directly to Song of Day in the way that there's like 
there's a finite number of punks and there's a finite number of songs and they all have these different attributes. And uh, it just was very clear to me that like, this could be like a viable way for me to monetize song a day in a, in a new way that was not possible before. Yeah. I, I remember you mentioning this in the, uh, in the Bankless podcast. I have to go find that video because it, you launched a NFT project that gave you the means to create the song a day world whole site. Is that right? Yeah. So song of the world was built on the back of first, I sold like the first year of song a day on OpenSea in like March of 2021. I had been working towards that goal for like a long time. And I actually have spent a long time now, like thinking about how back in 2017, I should have, but I didn't really understand how important blockchain timestamps were going to be. Mm. Although plenty of people sort of told me that. And I, I feel like I understood it in theory, but like, I didn't really, there was so much about like NFTs that especially back then that like I understood in theory, but didn't really understand, I guess it took me like a really long time to actually understand the ins and outs and like the real, how NFTs work. But I think a lot about like, I have plenty of opportunities to actually just like mint songs back in those days from people who were who were just at the beginning of building that infrastructure. Um, I minted the very first song on Ethereum with the guys from Super Rare. But like even that, if you look at the metadata, it's like it's really bad metadata. It's really shitty. It's like we didn't put the song itself or the video on IPFS. We didn't get a hash of the song or the video. The metadata just contains basically like the title of the song, the length of the song, and like a link to the YouTube video. And so like I didn't really understand how any of that worked back then on a fundamental level. If I had, I probably would have put more effort into making that right. And I probably would have not worried so much actually about like all this other stuff that I wanted to do. I, I had this whole vision about how I wanted song a day to work. And I wanted it to be very much like CryptoPunks. You know, that was always my vision where even down to each song having its own image, and the traits of the image, just like there's different traits in CryptoPunks, would reflect the traits of the song. So if the song has guitar in it, then you'd see a guitar in the image. And if the song was happy, then the face in the image would be happy. And if the song was recorded in France, then you'd see like the Eiffel Tower in the background or whatever. And ultimately, that's what I did. And what I found and what's been so interesting over time is that like kind of for song NFTs, especially like none of that really matters. Like I have custom images for every single song, song a day NFT for the first 13 years, 14 years actually. And no one cares about them at all. Like none of that matters even slightly in the least. Like it's not a thing that anyone seems to really care about. Cause you um, hired like several artists to create different versions. Of I hired 14 different year. artists for, for each year, <laughs> you know, that had been my vision. And I sort of stubbornly, stuck to that vision, but it's become very clear that like that none of that matters. And, and of course the song and the video are what matters. That's the, that's the thing. And so I look back to those days, the 2017 days and I'm like, I honestly, I could have just 
minted songs. I could have just been minting the songs back then. And I really sort of re- regret it and, and wish that I had been. But anyway, that's a really long tangent to say that. that in, in, in how you approach doing things now, like being more... Young? Yeah, definitely. If I have an idea to mint something now, I just, do, I just do it. And of course, the tools exist now to be able to do it. Like back then, you know, I relied on people like Super Rare or there was these other guys called Rare, just called Rare was the website. And, you know, I relied on devs and people to to put all that together. There wasn't any kind of like self-serve. There was no kind of self-serve right. thing. And even IPFS wasn't a standard practice at the time, I guess. I'm sure CryptoKitties was just hosted on a server and CryptoPunk yes. also. Uh, yes, exactly. And But but IPFS was around and, and we all, we definitely talked about how you want to put things on IPFS. So that's a long way to say that like when March of, well, when January and February of, of 2021, rolled around and OpenSea had this like doorfront where you could, where you could just upload stuff self-serve style and put in all the traits that existed. And so I used that to mint the first year of song a day and that sold out. And I used that money. And then I also used this other project that I did called the fucking trolls, which is a project that me and uh, Matt Condon and Chris Piasek did together. Cool to pay Raid Guild to create the custom contract, create the songaday.world site that ended up being the key to really doing the full songaday NFT experience as I had always kind of envisioned it. Because I haven't really said this yet, but songaday.world, which is the site we're looking at as we're talking, is a really incredible. I mean, from a, I think of you as an independent musician and from an independent artist of any kind to create such a sophisticated website with so many interesting mechanisms, such a solid, clear experience up front for participating in the daily auctions. I think it's like extremely impressive that you're able to pull this off. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, so much of that is down to the designers that I worked with from Raid Guild and then the continuing design work and development implementation work from the devs that we have working with us in Songadout. Oh, interesting. Uh, so some, some of the ongoing work has been now transferred to people in the DAO. Yes, absolutely. The site maintenance and and adding new features and any new ideas that I have for the site are all now implemented by we have two devs, essentially, maybe three, depending on working in Songadao. And, you know, we just pay them from the treasury and we're actually also a co-op. There's a way for the people who do work for Songaday to also get paid in essentially get paid an equity in the project. Although we haven't quite figured out all the ins and outs of that yet, but like, that's the ultimate goal. And I think of like song really as I think of song ultimately what I would like it to be is like my label more or less where Hmm. it's a group of people right now. It's a, it's a pretty small group of people. There's maybe like eight or nine of us, probably like four or five of us really hardcore. And then like eight or nine, and then a bunch of people who just own songs and will stop in now and then. But we have these weekly meetings and, and we, I come up with ideas or like other people have ideas and we just implement them. There's just like a ton of different ways that we've been experimenting, like with these additions that we're bringing on or with the GBM stuff, which we rolled that out like last week or the week before, as we move through the space, as we find new and different mechanisms that make sense to add on top of this 
basic experience of song a day, which is, you know, very nouns, like one song every day, it's up for auction. You can buy one at the buying a song sort of gives you grants you the first level of access into being in the DAO and that kind of thing. As we discover all these new mechanisms, song a DAO really exists at this point. It seems like to, to sort of implement that kind of stuff. And I would love eventually for song a DAO to include things like, copywriters and you know social media people and like people to offload all of the sort of stuff that a label would do you know do for me but then also you can earn equity in song a day as a project in exchange for that work before we go too far i wanted to just read the three like top bullet points on the song a dao page of song a day dot world song a dao owns 100 percent of the rights to and revenue from all song a day songs which is extremely bold frankly for a project you've been working on so long to pass, <laughs> to pass the, the the rights over to this dao an experimental project <laughs> very bold i think that's the right word second well bullet. what's funny yeah. i should say though for a second though we haven't the rights thing has not happened the money part is done like our song a dao gets a hundred percent of each daily auction but even more than that it gets a hundred percent of all royalties off chain, like traditional royalties that come in from music. They all go into a bank account that's owned by the co-op. And if I want to spend that money, I do an on-chain vote for people that can vote in the DAO. The rights thing, when we wrote that, I did not realize how complicated it was going to be. It's very complicated and very dangerous. But anyway, but yes, anyway, I think in some ways it's more important that the money thing and the money thing is definitely has definitely happened. Before we move on, part of my question is, I mean, isn't the whole premise of musicians going on chain that there isn't really any money in the publishing unless you're in a movie or commercial or something, which I guess this is includes that. But in general, there's not that much money on Spotify and Apple. Music. Yeah, I think the here you read the second one. I actually have the uh, the actual numbers. OK, great. Uh, OK, so I'll read, I'll read the two others. So the second uh, sort of premise of the DAO is members decide how to use those rights and revenue to grow the value of Song A Day. And number three, mm -hmm. as Song A Day gets more successful, so does the DAO. And I guess this is the idea that the, the value is coming back to the DAO. And then people who are participating in the DAO can have an increasing share of either those revenues by being paid out or even in, in a sense, ownership of, of the DAO. If you do work, you, you're compensated in like ETH or stable coins or also potentially in some token-based ownership of the DAO itself. Correct. And legally, we're in the eyes of the law because we're a co-op, like the shares would not just be these kind of like, I don't know, forgive me, like namby-pamby tokens, but they'd be like real shares mm -hmm. in the eyes of the law. So last year, the fiat account, well, anyway, from January to November, the fiat account made about $19,000. And that's... YouTube ad revenue, all streaming services, various other kind of like rights-based things that exist. Like I got really good in 2020 about like hooking in every single last dollar that my songs can earn. There's so many of them and you kind of have to like, I gave up the small piece of my publishing because I have a publisher who like, who gathers all of that together for me. So anyway, that's like $19,000 in a fiat bank account versus the ETH that we made was $258,000. Wow. Total of 94 ETH that we made in 2022. So, you know, it's not nothing. I mean, $19,000 yeah. is like, is definitely not. I mean, that's, 
that's a few, that's a few, it's a few ETH and it's, but the main point is like, like all of that is the DAOs. It's the DAOs to do with what it will. And ultimately I am obviously very much in control and driving the ship, but we do put things up for vote and I follow the rules and I follow the sort of the guidelines that I set up in the bylaws of the DAO and, and how that all works. On this other podcast, you mentioned, you know, part of it is not just about collecting the revenues from, say, Spotify or what have you, but if somebody is inspired by the music and, uh, you know, is going to place it in a movie or something, they could be compensated for doing that work, which would obviously be generating a lot of revenues for the DAO itself. Totally. If they were to be compensated, would they be compensated in uh, stablecoin, ETH, or are the only tokens in the DAO the songs themselves, or is there another measure of stakeholding in the the co-op? So we haven't totally figured out how exactly this works yet, but in co-ops there's, and my wife is listening, so she's going to be laughing at me because she knows how little I actually know (laughs) about all this, but there's something called in the way that legal co-ops are set up, there's something called qualified patronage and unqualified patronage. And as far as we understand, basically what qualified patronage is, is money. So the co-op votes to do some kind of distribution of the treasury and they want to do it as a qualified patronage dividend. That is just money. So in our case, that would probably just be ETH. There's several of our co-op members who have done the kind of work that would qualify them for the qualified patronage dividend. And we would vote and we would figure out what percentage everyone gets and we would give that to them. There's also something called unqualified patronage dividend. And what that is, again, as far as we understand, is more in line with like the actual equity in the co-op. So again, you know, we would come up with the percentages and who gets what and who did what work. And so that is what I imagine what I would want to do if someone, well, I don't know. I, I, we don't know how this is going to work yet. You know, if I imagine someone uh, saying, coming and saying, Hey, you know, we want to put this in Marvel movie or <laughs> whatever. That would be very nice. Totally. You know, the next Black uh, Panther. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> then, you know, the first step basically in my mind would be get them a song of the NFT, sort of get them into the DAO, you know, have that all set up. And then in proportion to like how much the DAO makes, I would want to pay them through this unqualified patronage thing of like, okay, now you own a stake in song a day. We brought you into the fold. Like I would want someone like that to be like in the team and we have the mechanism for doing that. I think we could represent that, that unqualified patronage as some kind of token, but I don't know that we need to necessarily. It's more just a percentage that we would need to keep track of. And where is to do two things? Where is the co-op based? And what was the process of working with? I know you had a like a lawyer you were working with when you first launched the project. What was that like? What firm is that? Or if you're willing to share, yeah. What was that process like? Yeah. So it's based in Colorado because Colorado is the Delaware of co-ops. So like, or not even straight co-op. Straight co-op. It's called a limited cooperative association (LCA). And if you were going to start an LLC. Like everyone does their LLCs in Delaware because Delaware is like, has good tax things. And like, that's just so, but Colorado is like the place to do a a co-op. And we worked with, I don't know the name of their, what is the name of their law firm? 
it's just Jacqueline and Yev, these two awesome lady lawyers who they put together East Denver's co-op. Oh, cool. And I guess their company is called Launch Legal. I don't know. Maybe Launch Legal is just the, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, they put together their co-op and I think we were the second one that they've done as sort of a co-op DAO situation. And they've done a few more since then, but they're always happy to talk to people who want to set up co-op. So if anyone's interested, they, I can definitely... Yeah, that's, I'd um, have them on a future episode to get into the details. Oh, yeah. No, they love to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I'm glad because most people are afraid to talk about this stuff. So it's... Uh, it was, oh, no. Like, they're all about it. Yeah, yeah. There is like DAOs and co-ops. There's a lot in common, obviously. Totally. So I want to jump to talking about the GBM stuff as well yeah. as a bit more about what the DAO gets up to with its proposals. But before we do that, I'm very excited. For the first time ever, we have a sponsor for Web3 Ooh. Galaxy Brain. Uh, as a nice. little experiment, I've created a five-second Galaxy Brain ad spot NFT on Juicebox. So if you go look up Web3 Galaxy Brain on Juicebox or click around my Twitter, you can find it. And for 0.02 ETH, you can purchase five seconds worth of advertising. And we have our very first sponsor this episode, Aeolian, developer from PeelDAO, who do the front end to Juicebox, has bought this ad, so I'm going to read it out now. Hey, developers, tired of using Etherscan? Try Etherfunk.io, the new way to interact with smart contracts on Ethereum. With faster and more intuitive features, etherfunk.io is the ultimate tool for Ethereum developers. Check it out now at etherfunk.io. And I'll take an extra second to say I was involved in the genesis of Etherfunk as an idea, and Aeolian really knocked it out of the park. Etherfunk is very cool. The main feature of Etherfunk is that you can share a link that pre-fills the inputs for sending a transaction to any contract on Ethereum. So if you're familiar with the Etherscan write tab and you like interacting with contracts sometimes directly without any kind of website, just through Etherscan, Etherfunk is just like that, slightly cleaner interface. And what makes it extra cool is that you can share a link with pre-filled inputs for all the different functions you might want to share. So I use it all the time. It's very useful. So check it out, etherfunk.io. I'm looking at it right now, I have to say. This looks really cool. I think the world of sort of automatic contract website is super ripe for things to exist. Yeah, I like that a lot. Awesome. Hey, who knew you pay 0.04 ETH and you get a Jonathan Mann endorsement? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> So, okay, so let's jump to talking about the auctions a little bit and the GBM mechanics. So maybe we could just run through the basic mechanic is a song a day. It's the latest song that you've written. It's today's song or yesterday's song. How, how does that part work? It's always today's song. It's always the day I write the song and then I tokenize and then I set it up for an auction. Um, and we used to use Zora just has its own sort of open source auction system that you can use. And that's for uh, all of last year. That's what we've been using. And then just recently this year, we switched to GBM. Yeah. And I'm super bullish on GBM. So I have to ask, so is there a batch of songs in the middle that have not yet been minted, that have not been auctioned? No, no, no. Every single song a day has been tokenized and exists as an NFT. Okay, so up until when you launched the site, those were sold through uh, some other mechanism? Because, I mean, there were many days to make up for. So how, how did you manage Yes, to so the way it worked was I did year one in March of 2021. I did year two in May of 2021. And then I dropped years three through 13 on December 31st of 2021. 
And so that caught me up so that on January 1st of 2022, you know, January 1st of last year, I started auctioning off each song daily. And so every song from last year got sold as an NFT. And then starting this year, we added in the extra feature of GBM. Wow. Out of curiosity, how did you sell the, like, the, whatever it was, 12, 13 years worth of uh, songs? All Were they fixed price or were they auctions as well? No, those were fixed price. There was a, you know, when you went to songaday.world on December 31st of 2021, you saw, you know, just like a, like any other NFT mint, it was for 0.2 ETH. And you just went there and you saw that and you could mint up to five. I think that was the limit. So it's sort of a normal NFT mint. Cool. Abnormal in the sense that you could pick any one. And most of them you just... No, no, you got them random. It was a random mint, just like you would with, with a PFP or something. Got it. So fast forward to this year, the transition to the GBM mechanic, and it's cool that the Raid Guild site and with the dev support from the DAO, you're able to integrate GBM without having 100%. to change everything. That's really awesome. Barely had to change anything, actually. Like, you know, as you can see on the site now, like added a few features of the important bits of, of GBM where it tells you you can enter in an amount into the little space and it tells you how much you will get back if you bid. And Edward, if it's okay, I'm just going to go ahead and just like shield hell out of this here. But <laughs> the folks at GBM, they did so much work. It, you know, it sounds simple, this idea of like you earn money every time you get outbid, but it's actually really like mathematically complicated because the money basically essentially comes from whatever the ending price is, right? So you don't want to end up in a situation where the person doing the auction doesn't end up with any money. So there has to be like all of this crazy math that happens to make sure that like the amounts are correct. Um, and the way that it works is the higher you bid over the current bid, the more you will make back when someone outbids you. And that's the sort of mechanism that encourages people to, instead of bid just in small increments, encourages them to like think about like, well, wait, like, Either I need to think about, well, what, what do I think is, it's a little bit of game theory. Like, what do I think the top price for this will be? Or what is the top price for which I will pay for this? You know, that thing in that you do in um, eBay where right. the bids bid. are max bid and they're, but they're hidden in that instance. Right. But you put in, you know, I'm willing to pay, ultimately I'm willing to pay. $200 for this copy of Nintendo Power from 1994 or whatever. And in that context, that's your max bid. This sort of incentivizes the same thing. If you actually want the NFT, which is one reason to bid on the NFT in a GBM system, the other one being you want to try to gamble and, and try to make money based on what you think other people will do. But if you want the NFT, then you want to, as soon as possible, bid your highest bid because what that means is that if you get outbid you will get a good chunk of change right um, so, so and if, if you don't I, get outbid if i anticipate that an nft is started off there's no bids and i know in my heart this nft is going to sell for at least an eth it behooves me to bid 0.9999 eth because i'm going to make something on it rather than if i just wait for it to hit that one eth i I'm or 0.5 eth you know your max you know let's say let's say you know it's going to sell for an eth but you're like, fuck, I can't spend an ETH. I would be willing to pay 0.3 for this. If you bid 0.3 and then someone else bids 
an ETH, I think then you would get like 0.03 back just for bidding 0.3. Right. Um, it, it seems to be 10%. So, Edouard, tell us about this. We've ham-fisted our way through it enough. Tell us more about the mechanic and what the math is behind it. Yeah, no, you, you guys are explaining it pretty well. Um, as Jonathan was saying, basically the return function, is the, so what you get back is a percentage of your bid, and that percentage is, varies depending on how much your bid is compared to the previous bid. So the percentage is changing. So if you bid a lot more the existing bid, your percentage return is bigger than if you bid like just a small increment. And so there's different presets uh, that need to be carefully uh, crafted because yeah, you need the auction to be fully funded. You need the returns to make sense. And also for it to make sense for the seller because at the end of the day, the most important person here is the seller. And the GBM is all about getting the right price discovery for that seller. Is there a name for what this is called, the kickback that the prior bidder gets when they're outbid? We call it an incentive. Incentive, okay. So is there, um, like, if you give too high an incentive, what you're saying is then you're kind of biting the, the original creator of the NFT because that's, that's ETH they're not getting. Exactly, it's coming out of the winning bid. So you want to have the right balance of something that is creating really exciting experience for the bidders and helping price discovery without giving too much away, basically, of the final bid to bidders. Because at the end of the day, it needs to be worth it for the seller. And if well calibrated, you have something amazing where everyone, you know, when you have these auctions, the moment you have these auctions start, people come to place a bid as soon as possible. Because in most auctions, like in the English auction, the problem is that you don't have usually that enough bidders. You don't have enough activity. And some auctions, you know, get no bidders at all. Because there's no real incentive for you to come early in an English auction. Most of the action happens at the end. Right. So here, with the GBM auction, you completely you know, flip this over. And now you have an auction where a lot of the activity happens right at the beginning. Because everyone is there. It's like an event. You know, when we do big drops, now we've done drops with um, one of our clients, is, uh, our partners is Avagochi, which is this um, cool game on, on Polygon like Tamagotchi on the blockchain and they've been working with us for since 2021 and we've done drops with them with like you know 12,000 auctions simultaneously all going live at the same second to like land and sell like characters wearables and you get like the entire community like ready for it and the second it it starts you know people have been live streaming it you get like bits everywhere people being out bid in real time taking part in like five different auctions so you get like really, really big excitement from this. And at the same time, everybody wins. There's people who made like real money, who made real money just by bidding. Yeah. Just, just, you know, who gambled, but they made real money just by participating in these Avogadro auctions going from thing to thing and being able to sort of read the room right and, and bidding in the correct way. I, was, I think it's just amazing. I mean, yeah, like there was a guy where we were um, at NFT uh, NYC uh, last year in New York on the first day where we were queuing to get our pass. We were wearing the GBM swag and there's this guy that just comes to us in the queue and says, hey, you're the guys from GBM. I booked and I paid for my flights to come from South America (laughs) to New York to attend (laughs) NFT NYC using money that I earned from placing bid, you know, oh, on so the Abaguchi. Like, that was so cool. 
That's very cool. So I'm looking at it now. So for instance, uh, NFT just went on sale. Current bid is 0.035. If I bid 0.1, the site is telling me that I'll get, if I'm outbid with my 0.1 ETH bid, I'll get 10% of that back as a reward, an incentive. And it seems to me that no matter what value I put in, it's 10% that I get back. Does it depend on what the bid that I am outbidding is at, that that percentage, or is it fixed 10% on Song of Day? No, so it's definitely not fixed because the, the mechanics needs to stay the same. Like we have different versions of the presets so that sometimes you have, we have presets where the maximum you can get is 5%, sometimes 10, sometimes 20. Here, the, what Songhead is using is the what we call our medium preset is the one we re- usually recommend for, for drops. And so if you try to put the minimum bid, that you, next bid that you can do, or a bid that is very, very close oh, to the yes, existing bid, you, you'll see the change and you see that maybe you'll get only 1% return or 2% return. Right. So the current bid is 0.035. If I do the minimum bid of 0.0385, then I only get 1% back. Uh, but if exactly. I back up uh, a little bit higher than that, it goes right to 10%. So yeah, the way it works is if you double the existing bid, that's when you reach the max percentage return. So you get 10% return if you at least double the current bid. And you can really appreciate the complicated math when you see this. I keep, Edward, I keep trying to get these guys to uh, release this spreadsheet, which is proprietary information, which I realize you don't want to. But I love, it's just this thing of beauty because it's so, it looks so complicated to me. It sort of shows all of the math that goes into figuring out like this 5% back, 10% back, 15% back, 50% back, you know, is called like the DGEN version where you can imagine a version of this where you get 50% back if you do this DGEN version. It's super fun. It's just like you can mess with all these different it's super modes and yeah it feels like a savvier version of zora the original zora mechanism where they had this idea that you could earn a sell-on fee if you mm-hmm, yes if i sell it to you and you sell it to somebody else then i could still get some revenues from that yes sale. like a, a curator a curator thing yes exactly, totally exactly. like if i'm able to sell it to Kanye and then Kanye has increased the value by maybe Kanye is a bad example these days, whatever <laughs> somebody else. George, let's go for someone safer. George Bush. If I sell it to George, there you Bush, go. Yeah, yeah. Increased- Michael Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and they, by dint of owning it, increase the value. Then I should be compensated for having made that possible. Uh, not just them for having been famous or something like that. This is even cooler because you're incentivizing people to participate in these auctions, which have this problem you've pointed out that people don't like to participate until the end. If I feel like I can predict what the ultimate sale price will be, I should bid as close to but under that, assuming that I don't want to own the NFT myself. And that's that's like, I feel like the real unlock is it's a way to sort of play on something that is seems at least at this point for better or worse inherent in crypto and specifically, you know, crypto in general, NFTs, which is play DGENs against collectors, I guess is the way to put it to, you know, for the artist's benefit to maximize revenue for the artist, which is what we all want to, you know, which supposedly is what we're all trying to do here. But yeah, if you have DGENs who are going to come in and think about it one way and you hopefully have collectors who are going to think about it another way. And I, that's just really great. It's just a really great mechanism. It, it also reminds me a little in the illustrator community, they have this practice of giving, they list a, an illustration on foundation or super rare, and then they will 
give stickers, which are sort of smaller NFT artworks to people who've bid in order to yes. encourage them to participate. Obviously, it's a little bit less financialized, but similar kind of rewarding people for participating in hyping it up through actual on-chain participation in the auction. I don't know if this ever happened, but I, I remember seeing a nouns proposal very early on that was like trying to give poaps to yeah. people who had bid on did they ever enact that is that sure a thing that happens we have sasquatch but, in the audience who's from the nouns community maybe sasquatch can can let us know with an emoji well, you know which i love as an idea and i don't think that gbm i think could work really nicely in tandem with that almost could work really nicely in tandem with a situation like that a poap type because all the incentives are on chain, so it's quite easy even after the auction to send people props with exactly how much they earn when I would bid, when their bid was for each auction, yeah. So, Edouard, what does Avogachi use, for instance? What's, what do you call this number, like the maximum incentive percentage? I call that like a preset, basically, because okay. it's like a bunch of different values that need to go together. And is Avogachi um, further on the DGEN scale? So it's a mix, actually, So because we've done like many, many jobs with them you know, over the last uh, year and a half. Most of the jobs they've done with um, the, this medium presets, that is also the one that Sangada is using. We've also did uh, a couple of jobs which were really big where we mixed it up. So we had low preset and high, medium, and some degens, and then we looked at the data to see how people behaved with this. And actually, even in it, we mixed some... English options, so like with no return on bidding, mm, okay. mm -hmm. and then we compare them to see how people behave, what the prices that you know were realized, and actually we have like this massive empirical study that showed how the power of GBM, you know, showed that GBM was better on every metric that we could measure almost against a traditional auction. Yeah. Did you find that the DGen that that a higher return made a huge difference, or like? What did you find on that front? So definitely there's, there was a correlation where the higher the presets, the higher the prices. Mm. Um, the gen was a bit more difficult because the the only NFTs that we put with the deep gen yeah. uh, were NFTs that had very specific right. uh, token IDs. And so basically we didn't count them in our study. We only counted right. low to high. But yeah, what we saw is the higher the presets and the return, the faster people bid, the higher the first bids are and the final bids and how much money the seller makes. So of course, there's definitely, in my opinion, a limit to this. <laughs> you should, yes. You know, even, even, even the DJ, you know, we didn't go too crazy. Like for <laughs> me, there's definitely a limit to how far you can push this while making it still valid and, and valuable for, for everybody. So we, I'm, I'm very conscious not to, not to push the push the thing thing too hard. Push the so, limit yeah, too far, yeah. Definitely, like, it's been really amazing, the data we have on this. And um, Avogutshi now, they've implemented um, GBM for their marketplace for secondary trades. So now if you go on mm. the Avogutshi GBM auction house, people are actually listing wearables for sale for the community. And so they are basically now GBM auctions at any hour of the day for many different types of wearables. Very cool, very cool. I, I wonder if that would apply to Song of Day too for a secondary market. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely, now that we've implemented it, we've definitely thought about it. And I also, hearing uh, this makes me think like, basically the way that it works on, on my end when I mint every day is I, I have this back end that um, was originally created through, um, uh, through Raid Guild uh, that allows me to mint every day. And I 
um, you know, basically where I take the song, I tokenize it. I can get the hash of the song and the video and I, I tokenize all that. And that's what I mint to the blockchain. And then I have another page on my little app that I use, a little custom app where, you know, I start the GBM auction. This makes me think that maybe, you know, one of the things I'll have my devs build in is the ability to choose, to choose the, the level, the level at which, you know, so sometimes we'll go up from 10%, we'll put it at 15%. And then, you know, maybe for certain songs, sort of like you were saying, Edward, we're like, for certain songs that it sort of makes sense for, for like a real DJ-y kind of song, maybe I'll put it up to the DJ level. Like that would be really fun for me, for me each day, a, a fun thing to try to play with. Makes me wonder if, if you want to increase the preset and make it more DJ for ones that you anticipate will be more popular or less popular actually, because it's incentivizing participation, right? But at the same time, you want one that's going to achieve a, a high max bid. So there's more room for people to be counterbidding one another. One, exactly yeah yeah one thing to think about is basically one of the things that for me really help in the decision of how high or low you need to go with the presets is how liquid or illiquid an asset is mm. so like gbm is gbm is really really good for pricing assets that are illiquid right because if you know exactly if everyone knows exactly how much an asset is worth, right. then first of all, you don't really need an auction in the first place. But then GBM auction won't be that superior to other mechanisms. And so if you have, for some days, you know, it's art and every day is different. But yes. the example of, the example of, of another job or some types of wearables, you know, with Avagochi, if you have something where the price is very well known or pretty known, then you should go with a lower preset because the price there's already some idea of what this is worth and so you don't need right. to incentivize as much yes and so the, and the more unique something is and the less anyone has any, no idea of what it's worth the higher you can go on that preset see i think in that way it makes that makes me think like a just a typical song a day song that doesn't have any kind of like hook to it or like it's not topical in any way you know, the price for that is relatively known. And so th that's why we'll stick with like the medium. But I, with a song, like if I were to make like a fucking ape game song, whatever, I would put that at really high because uh, something like that is slightly less for sure. You know, it seems like there's more uncertainty around like how much someone would be willing to pay for something like that. Edouard, are you, are you developing like um, resources for people who want to implement GBM to think about this strategy or, or how, how do you, how do people learn how to do this? Yeah, for sure. So, so definitely what we offer with our partners at GBM is not just code, but of course, all of the know-how that we have, we are like, you know, experts on price discovery and auction theory and game theory. And so we help projects that implement with us on deciding how they should use the system to make sure that they avoid any classic pitfalls because it's very easy to, you know, with one or two small mistakes to completely change the dynamic in your jobs. And so it's very important to get it right. And so we, we advise and, and, and consult with, with our partners for that. We give them an idea, you know, we should use maybe this percent or this is what we recommend and we work with them because every partner is different. And we, over time, working with and and getting all of these questions, we've kind of started having some documentation. We have some implementation guides. This is trying explaining 
what GBM is, how it works, what are the key components to get right. You know, one of them, for example, is the fact that you should not have a minimum first bid. Ah. So basically, because of how powerful the GBM auction is, you don't need to start the bidding at like, oh, it needs to be at least 0.1F. You can start the bidding at zero and the auction works really well. And the beauty is because you start the bidding at zero, that means anybody in the world can take part. And what's very important in auction is the number of people you have that are excited that are there at the beginning. And so with GBM, you get as many people as possible to be there at the beginning and anybody can bid. So you show you have, you can have a nominal bid, you know, like, oh, it needs to be $1, $10 worth, but you don't need any minimum bid. Any minimum bid actually is going to prevent some people from taking part. The activity is more, more valuable than the, the minimum. Yeah. And like, you know, with Avagotchi, we've seen, I've seen auctions go from zero to $20,000 in four bids or three bids. You know, like the, the data shows that you don't need a minimum first bid as long as you have the proper, you know, the proper mechanism and that people know the auction is happening and that there's actual demand, then you don't need a minimum first bid. And if you try to set a minimum bid, you actually kind of signaling to the market. You know, we don't want to do that. You know, if you put your first bid, you say, oh, the first bid has to be at least $100. Then I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is not worth $5,000. Minimum bid when you're 100, you know, because that's how your auction houses do it. You know, usually the, the first bid in an auction house like Christie's or Sotheby's is like um, 30% of the lower estimate for an item. So because of this rule, people, even if they don't exactly know the rule, when you, when you have like the bidding starts at X, that gives you an idea of what this is worth already. Calibrate. So the idea of going at zero is it's a clean slate. Mm. Clean slate. Yeah, totally. Before we run out of time, there's two other topics I wanted to ask about. One, which we've kind of hinted at, is royalties. Uh, Jonathan, do you do current NFTs have, I guess, uh, ERC two nine eight one style royalties on them? Yeah, yeah, ten percent, and it goes to the DAO. Very cool. And have you given any thought, or are you aware of the OpenSea um, operator filter discussion that's happening right now? Yeah, I. I mean, I haven't thought about it too much other than I just like, I think that marketplaces need to pay people the royalties. Like, mm-hmm. I just think like if an NFT project has their royalty set, like it's pretty dick move to not honor that regardless of being able to or not. But as far as I haven't gotten too deep into like utilizing any of the different tools that exist now to sort of blacklist or anything like that. Yeah, I'm curious if, if your contracts would be um, like upgradable to include that stuff. <laughs> I don't think they are, I don't think they are upgradable in that way. So I don't think I could even if I wanted to. And I don't know that I would. I don't know. Um, I, I wish this was not an issue, frankly. I, I just wish that that marketplaces would just pay people what they're asking. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because it will make the NFTs somewhat DRM'd. Yeah. Which is kind of what we're trying to get away from. Yes, absolutely. No, DRM is such a dirty word in my in my vocabulary. Yeah, same. 
Okay, so that's, that was one. And the other question I had was, uh, so uh, if you go to songadao.org, you can see the, is, it's a discourse, right? Uh, sort of forum for discussing Dao proposals and Dao matters. Um, yes. I was curious, what kinds of things does the Dao uh, vote on? What are the proposals? And also, maybe you could talk a little bit about the one person, one vote uh, mechanism with Bright ID, if you're still doing mm -hmm. that and, and how that's working out. Yeah, so we started out with basically all snapshot votes. And the way that we did it is we are actually the first, uh, we, we, we created the very first snapshot instance of linking your Ethereum address to a Bright ID account um, for the purposes of verifying that you are in fact a single human to do these snapshot uh, votes. So that is how we now vote. We started out doing all of them. What we did is we've sort of tiered our votes where a lot of other DAOs that I'm in uh, for sort of smaller votes, um, we do uh, what's called emoji consensus where, you know, if it's, I think the thing we have is if it's below five ETH, we just do it by emoji in the voting channel in the uh, Discord. Um, but if it's over that, then you do have to, in fact, uh, connect your wallet and you have to be bright ID verified and only one person at a time can do that. Uh, and that's all on Snapshot. Uh, in, that's all on Snapshot. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like a weighted voter thing. It's not like you have tokens and you can use a bunch of tokens. It's it's you are one person and you are just voting once for a thing. For people who aren't familiar, uh, the only time I've ever inter interacted with Bright ID was for Gitcoin donations. Uh, and the yep. reason they use it is to limit uh, Sybil attacks on their matching round. So to avoid, because they do quantitative uh, funding, um, or not quantitative, uh, quadratic, um, the number of people who are supporting a project it has a direct relationship to how much of the matching round is associated with that project. And so they don't want people gaming that system by using multiple accounts to vote for uh, the same project or to make a small donation to the same project to affect the matching round. And so they verify identities with proof of humanity or bright ID. Well, bright ID, I think uh, if it's still the way it was when I tried it, you basically go into their discord and do a video call just to say hello and prove that you're a person. I'm not sure how Sybil resistant their whole process is really, but it's something. And I'm sure for Songadao, at least thus far, it's, it's probably pretty good. Uh, yes, exactly. It's like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, if you really, 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 really tried, you could break it, but it would take enough effort and it would be enough effort to do it like enough times, especially with something like Gitcoin, where it would be way too annoying to, to break it, um, enough times to make it worth it, you know, if that makes sense. So far. So it's so like, <laughs> we'll yeah, 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 exactly. But you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's a really nice, uh, it's a really nice solution for that. I'm sure you've seen the, uh, videos of, uh, East Asian, like world of Warcraft farms. Yeah. Or whatever. I, I, yeah. I'm sure. That well, this is the thing of, this is the thing of like, why, why, you know, showing up and, and showing your face, like why that work? Because you have to show your face and, Hopefully they recognize that, you if you show up twice. Well, that's the thing. They they have ways. They have their ways. We'll uh, just say that. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. Uh, so so the one person, one vote, regardless of how many NFTs you hold from the Song of Day collection has been working. Correct. And uh, how, how much governance goes on? Uh, I, yeah. Both types. Uh, most of the governance, it seems like at this point, is in treasury distributions, and it has to do with paying for things. So 
um, do we want to implement GPM, GBM and do we want to, do we want to pay our dev? Um, you know, he writes up a proposal and do we want to pay him to implement it? Um, that, you know, most of the, uh, things that we're voting on have some, are some flavor of that, of that basic, um, sort of setup. Cool. And have you found it, uh, it's working well or what's the experience of governance like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was difficult. The reason we moved to emoji consensus for smaller things, right. Is we found just like many other DAOs, it's like we sort of set the bar too high and it was like so hard to be whipping the votes. Like every time we wanted to do something like, ah, come vote, come vote. Um, and it's just so much easier to just do like these little emoji things and the set the thing a little bit lower and we only really need this many people because it's like who this this is the number of people who are really actually super active in the DAO. Um anyway, these are the people that care, these are the people that actually like are gonna show up. So that's sort of where we're at now. Um um so yeah, but but yes, uh, once we move to that, I actually really enjoy it. You know, it makes it really makes me feel like we are, we are in this together. You know, we are actually making decisions as a group. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you think that you would have the same kind of developer support for maintaining and expanding the site, uh, without the DAO? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's hard to say, but like, I think that like the devs that are, that came on, um, came on as a result of like coming into the DAO and then just showing up. And I'm not sure that would have happened without, you know, um, weekly meetings with the DAO and setting up the DAO and, you know, framing it in this way of like, we're all doing this as a group. Um, uh, I, 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 I can't say for sure. Um, but, but I definitely, I definitely feel like that, um, to, to at least to some extent. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, one last thing on the site, you have a tab in the nav bar for song decks. Uh, yes. Maybe could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Song Index was an idea inspired by a wonderful project called Song Camp. Um, uh, and Song Camp was this really great uh, project. If you go to chaos.build, you can see Song Camp's last project, which is still minting and still has things to, to, to sell you. So it's really great. And in their conception of this, basically you would buy these packs of these songs. You would buy a pack and inside the pack would be four songs and there's 88 songs total. And the goal was essentially to collect all of the songs. And they have this really nice little like uh, visualization of like, here's the songs you have and here's the songs you don't have. And it really tickled my, thing the the natural thing that we have as humans of like wanting to collect all of the things so when i saw that i was like oh man i love that so much how can i how can we implement something similar with song a day and so with song a day rather than it being based around collecting obviously you can't collect all the songs because that would be impossible we base it around traits and so we set up this thing called song index like a pokedex where you were trying to collect as many traits as possible. I manually sort of went through, and this is something we did with the DAO too, is we sort of came up with the categories of what we thought would work, manually went through and like decided like what the different tiers would be, you know, common, uncommon, rare, the different traits. Um, and, and then 
And then we set it up so people could connect their wallets and it would, you know, populate each, each tier, common, uncommon, rare, legendary, et cetera, it would populate each tier with the songs that they own. Um, and they could see which ones they have and which ones they don't have. And they could collect a POAP for each level that they've completed, each tier that they've completed. And then the grand prize for collecting all of the tiers, all of the traits, it was the idea of me, I would go to wherever you are in the world and, you know, uh, create a custom song for you in person if you collected all that. And actually, just a, like last month, um, a gentleman called Arsonic, who's a really great NFT artist and developer, does a bunch of stuff on Artblocks, made the very first ever on-chain music NFT. He was the one to win it. He was around when it launched and he like very fastidiously like kept an eye on like which traits he was missing and which traits were up for sale. And he ended up collecting all of the traits necessary to complete the song index. And he's up in Montreal. So at some point I'm, we're sort of planning a trip to go up there and he apparently is going to have me sing a song for his wife. So that'll be very nice. And we're going to do sort of version 2.0 about for this, like once once I have completed that and hopefully we'll come up with some new and improved things to go along with it. Cause we, we definitely learned a lot from the first, from the first round of doing I it. I think this is such a smart idea. It's easier to understand if you go take a look song a slash song but basically there's sort of uh, categories like say the first one is very common traits. There's poetic acoustic guitar, Jersey city, pensive and shadow. And so if you have, I guess one of those is enough to complete that, or you need one of each one, one of each trait. Got it. Okay. And those are very easy to get. Those are very easy to acquire an acoustic song, a Jersey city song. Those are floor songs as it were. Got it. And then as you, as you go up these tiers, there's uh, more and more rare things, harder things to get. I was going to say, uh, it's funny that the Arsonic is in Montreal because so am I. And I was looking at legendary location is Montreal. I'm, I'm curious if you click on it there, it links to gem and all the listings for the yes. NFTs that match that trade. And unfortunately there's none from Montreal listed. So I think this is a pretty difficult competition to, to win. So in the legendary realm, we're down to like any of those legendary traits there's only like one or two or th maybe three nfts that exist in that realm so it's really difficult to acquire those yeah wow we got to convince you to do more your legendary moods horny drunk or embarrassed we need more of those. yes 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 that's if it ever really caught on that would be another sort of section of part of it that i hoped and that i that i think would be really cool which is it would definitely encourage me to to do some of these uh more songs with these rare, you know, with these rare traits. In fact, I think for our Sonic, I may have, you know, he was like down, like he needed one last thing. And so I made a song specifically just so he could complete it, which is really fun. I love that. And it's great. It brings you closer to the collectors and vice versa and is also inspiring for future work and also uh, kind of pumps the, the auction activity like GBM it makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yep. All right, Edward. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming through today and explaining all this. I, I learned really a lot, uh, not only about the project, but just about NFT sales and thinking about how to incentivize the right kind of behavior. This is uh, really informative. Woohoo! We win. <laughs> Everybody wins. Would either uh, <laughs> of you like to point people at uh, anything online or uh, anything to check out? Go ahead, Edward. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, in any project that um, you know wants to drop nfts or even for their own uh, their marketplace or their users to to resell their assets 
uh, definitely come and talk to us um, either on Twitter uh, at GBM Auction or our website is uh, GBM.auction. And yeah, like uh, amazing price discovery, you know, great for the community. Like um, we have, uh, we have, uh, we've done more like more than two hundred million dollars in bidding volume so far in the system with the different partners that we have. And so yeah, it's battle tested and very exciting. So please, anyone that. Uh, that is looking for this for price discovery, come to us. We'll be happy to to work with you. Do people have to already have an auction set up, or if they're just selling NFTs like fixed price, is it is it uh, too early to talk to you, or or would you still be? No, no, not at all. Like I mean, even before you sell anything, you you should talk to us. Avagoshi <laughs> 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 came to us because they did their first drop, which was six priced, and when they realized like the surely was sold out, but many people you know um, missed out, and uh, the community was not happy. Um, with the way the fixed price work, because of course in fixed price, if you undervalue your items, um, you get a gas war and you have bots and flippers. And so the project also miss out, misses out on, on revenue. And many people that wanted to participate didn't went home with nothing. And so they, they came to us after their first drop, implemented the GBM and they've been using, using us for all their drops ever since. So yeah, as soon as people already thinking about dropping and they should go and talk to us. Of course, the earlier, the earlier, the better. Yeah. And also I just wanted to say, you know, like I'm very excited, uh, for the, for the future, uh, for GBM, we, we song a day and Jonathan and, um, you know, we were talking with, with Nicola about, uh, all the cool stuff that you've put on, on song a day and on song a day world. Uh, for me, like that's the, that's what happens when you, day after day, year after year, you're always looking, you know, for new things, new way to improve, to innovate. That's how you, you found us and decided to, to implement GBM. So I'm very excited for what's the future for, for Sangha Day as well and what we can do together. Well, I appreciate that. And I feel exactly the same way. I, you know, we, we didn't even scratch the surface of all the amazing things that Edward and his team have also put together and um, similarly have spent, you know, since 2017, just like, constantly doing new and interesting things in nfts so it's the feeling is definitely mutual um if you want to you know see anything having to do with song a day uh, the two best places are song a day dot world and then you know song a day man on twitter as you can see here i'm always on twitter always tweeting uh, so two ends at the end for uh, two ends recording um yes it's true we didn't get into uh, some of the prior history of gbm and, and where the idea came from but maybe in a future episode we'll have you back to to talk about more a mechanism that was in the making for a long time and, and built on the same kind of learnings uh with pleasure yeah uh okay great thank you both uh this was a wonderful conversation Woo! thank you hey thanks for listening to this episode of web3 galaxy brain to keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.